So when we're under high stress or we get into more of a hypervigilant go, 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 go mode or a dissociative cutoff numb mode, we can really lose track of being able to hear and listen to the wisdom of the body. We often hear people wishing us a long, happy and healthy life. But what if the length isn't what matters most? What if instead it's the breath, depth and purpose of each day that matters most? Welcome to the Live the Width of Your Life podcast. My name is Annette Ardellian Kuzma, and join me weekly as I interview guests who made changes in their own lives to live more fully with intention, gratitude, and joy. Be prepared to be inspired by their stories of how they shifted their mindset, took courageous action, and designed the life that they always wanted to live. Welcome back to Live the Width of Your Life podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today's guest is Caitlin Rose, and Caitlin is a somatic yoga therapist who helps her clients harmonize the nervous system and embody soul power. Through the journey of healing from PTSD, Katie channeled and created somatic yoga therapy, an integrative healing art form that helps you gently and effectively alchemize past pain bodies into your greatest gifts and superpowers. Katie firmly believes that you are your own healer and your body is your most sacred guide. The somatic yoga therapy process offers you tools, support, guidance, and space for alchemizing blockages and trauma into your greatest gifts and superpowers. But only you hold the magic of your own healing potential. And this magical healing force lives inside your body awaiting reclamation. We talked about so many things on this particular podcast. We talked about reconnecting with our bodies and what it means to be able to drop back into our bodies again, out of our thinking minds. We talked about the somatic yoga process that she's created and what a session would look like and how we can use it to heal trauma, anxiety, depression. There's so many amazing things that Katie shared with me, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Take a listen. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to be here. Yes. So for those that may not be familiar with you or your work, tell us a little bit about your journey, a little bit about your story. Sure. So my work right now is in the realm of somatics and yoga. I support women in reconnecting with their bodies and all of the power really that can come from that. And with that, there's a lot of themes around healing trauma, anxiety, depression, and really just limitations that can really be bred in us from such a young age so that we as women can release these blockages and become more of our full, shiny, radiant selves. So how I got into this work was because I really desperately needed it myself. I have always been a very sensitive person ever since I was very little, very intuitive, very creative, right brain, not a super masculine person born into a pretty masculine family, pretty masculine world. And through just that cultural trauma, we could call it, or cultural upbringing, as well as early childhood traumatic experiences, found myself pretty dissociated, pretty cut off, pretty numb, struggled a lot with anxiety, depression, body image, panic attacks from a young age and came to yoga 
and had what I often call my first in my body moment. It was just like accessed my what's called the parasympathetic nervous system or rest and digest response where I felt like I was floating. I was so relaxed and ethereal yet grounded at the same time. And I'd never had an experience like that before in my life. And it was a wake up moment for me where I realized how I'd been living and how my nervous system had been wired was not how I wanted it to be. I wasn't feeling the way I wanted to feel. And so that really led me on a quite deep journey. It's been 10 years now, deep dive into yoga, yoga therapy, somatics, nervous system, energy healing, body work, like all of these different modalities that have really supported me in healing and in reclaiming my fullest self. And through that process have felt really called to sharing it with others. So I was offering co-ed experiences for a really long time. And in the past couple of years have kind of honed in more on women's work, women's issues, sexuality, sisterhood, and created the organization Her Temple, where we, again, really help women reconnect to their bodies through several different means, but mainly in the premise of somatics and yoga therapy. Thank you for sharing that background. And one, I want to applaud you for doing the work on yourself and then also identifying that this was something that you were able to also share back out with others and to serve, which is a theme that I find amongst women who find themselves working on their own trauma or working with their own inner work and then leveraging all those different skills and modalities to help others. So tell me a little bit about the title, Her Temple Healing, and how you came up with that. Yeah, I love the idea of your body as a temple or really honoring the body and especially for women, the womb space and that pelvic region of the body, which is such a sacred place in the body that so many women are very disconnected from. In the yoga tradition, the pelvic bowl is said to be the seat of Shakti, the seat of our feminine power. And so that's really the origin of her temple. It's coming back to our bodies, coming back into connection with our womb spaces, our hearts, of course, too, and to one another. But I love that word temple, bringing together the physical with the spiritual. That's what a temple really represents to me. It's a place where we go for deeper connection and worship, where it's a physical place, but it's a location devoted toward more of a cosmic connection or spiritual connection or a place to connect to something greater than just you and your limited human self. Yeah, it's sacred, right? I love the idea of our body being sacred. And so when you talked about being a sensitive child and maybe feeling a little bit out of place in our culture and maybe even in the family where we are very masculine focused in terms of energy, can you explain for those maybe that aren't as familiar just the difference between feminine energy and masculine energy? Totally. I'm really glad you brought that up. And that's the language I tend to resonate with right now. But for some people, they like to work with lunar and solar energy or yin and yang. And the words don't matter so much. It's more the qualities. And so when we're working with more feminine energy, I would say that's more like right-brained, more creative, more 
fluid and free form and masculine would be more structured, more linear. It's more of where our society has placed values. Like you go to high school, you graduate, you go to college, you get your degree, you have that like very linear path that takes away from some of the organic way that life actually tends to work for many, many people. So that's one way to work with those terms. Another way that I like to think of them is in terms of the nervous system. So I would say the feminine would be more of the parasympathetic nervous system, receptivity, down regulation, calm, rest, sleep, inward, masculine energy, and the sympathetic nervous system. Sometimes I feel wrongly criminalized, like these are bad things, but really they're beautiful. This is what helps inspire us to wake up in the morning. This is the place of passion, of flow, of active outward energy, of social energy. And so there's a lot of beauty to that side of the system as well. But of course, we also connect that with fight or flight and high stress energy or like self-criticism, kind of hyper control, these sort of things that can come along that side that, of course, can be a struggle for many people. I love that you said that it's not like, in my own mind, I see the balance. And that's so important for each of us is understanding the balance and how do we regulate in a way where we kind of find our homeostasis at all times. And sometimes that means a nice regulated masculine energy, like you said, when we need to maybe get unstuck or we need to take some action or if we're working specifically on goals. But there's also then the feminine, right? Which is that awareness of, you said, being in the body, allowing, not forcing necessarily. And so it's the more I know I personally practice with awareness and just dropping into the body out of the thinking mind it really does help to create that balance. So tell me a little bit about this idea of being in the body, as you mentioned before, with yoga and kind of connecting to ourselves that way versus being in the thinking mind where really we spend a lot of our childhood education and was very much in a regulated thinking mind. This is where you are. And then if you worked in a structured corporate environment or any other job, we tend to spend a lot of time there. So What does it feel like when we're in our physical body and we drop into the body and have that connection versus just playing in that thinking mind all the time? Yeah, it's a great question. We are really taught to be critical thinkers. And then, I mean, I don't know about you or your listeners, but I feel like I've spent the past probably 10 plus years learning how to not be such a critical thinker and how to really become more of a feeler again. (laughs) So I love that you bring that up. There's such power in our bodies. This is really where the whole emerging new field of somatics is coming from, is that your body holds a deep intelligence within it that knows how to heal. And it's really the minds that kind of can block us. And it's where we get in our own way. And so that's really a huge part of the work that I offer and that I do is creating more harmony between these parts of ourselves, one that is more feeling body-based and one that is more mental. And sometimes and for many people, it can feel like they're at war with one another. My mind wants one thing, my body wants another, and can feel very conflicting. And for many people, it's really challenging to feel or be connected to the body at all, especially 
in our culture where we're really taught and where it's normalized to be more in our heads and to relate to one another from a logical place. So this term somatics and body awareness is so connected with the feminine energy that we were discussing earlier. It's feeling, it's learning how to sense what's already there and already happening, but we've become dissociated from or disconnected from. I like to compare it to just like when you're hungry, your body signals hunger with like a bit of a gnawing feeling or however hunger is signaled for you. Each and every one of us is unique, but generally a gnawing feeling when you're hungry. This is how it communicates with us. This is the language of the body and it goes way beyond hunger. There's a deep intuition around what wants to or needs to happen next in terms of if you're an entrepreneur, your business decisions or your romantic life. But there's deeper survival instinct within the body. There's healing instinct and there is a deep wisdom if we learn how to download that language into our being and translate what the body is communicating with us. But we've all probably gone through periods of high stress, perhaps when it's been really stressful and then you realize you've been hungry for a really long time, but you weren't even really aware of it until like the end of the day. You're like, it's been eight hours and I haven't eaten and I'm so hungry and I didn't even notice it until now. So when we're under high stress or we get into more of a hypervigilant go, 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 go mode or a dissociative cut off numb mode, we can really lose track of being able to hear and listen to the wisdom of the body. So it starts with something so simple as my body is just telling me I'm hungry right now or I have to pee or I feel really hot and I want to take my jacket off. When we're up in our minds, it's really hard to listen to those to that wisdom and in fact we've really been taught for a long time to go against that if you're hungry it's kind of like oh well it's not lunchtime yet so i'm gonna wait and feed myself at that time rather than when my body is actually wanting to eat or i have to go to the bathroom well i've got uh, 30 minutes left in my drive right now so i'm just gonna wait till i get home and we kind of defer that wisdom in these very tangible, simple ways, just like gotta eat, gotta go to the bathroom, gotta keep your body temperature regulated. But then it goes even deeper than that when we start to connect more with our mental health and with our psycho-emotional well-being, because the body is also signaling so much around our emotions and emotions have a deep intelligence within them. And the body also is a translator for spirit, for intuitive downloads, for how we get to connect to something greater than our individual personalities, something greater than just you and me here, that cosmic source, energy, God, creator, the universe, great spirit, whatever the word is that you connect with. The body is also where we get to translate and connect with that energy here in our human lives. So a lot of the work that I do with women, with people is first and foremost, we have to reconnect to our five senses, which is kind of like the bridge between the outer world and the inner world. You see, smell, hear, and so on. In somatic experiencing, they call this orientation. It's what helps us be present. I think it's a huge pillar of mindfulness too. I've read some books and it's all about just like 
being present with your senses. So there's a huge connection between those mindful spiritual practices and these nervous system practices. That's where we begin. And then it's connecting to the inner world sensations, what you feel inside. So again, like when you're hungry, there's a gnawing feeling. When you're sad, there's like a rock heavy weight in your chest. When you're angry, there's heat that floods and rises up. Speaking generally, most of us can connect to the stories related to this, but it's really hard to connect to the actual sensations. Again, if we just take hunger, I can connect with the story. I'm so hungry. I need food right now. This is what I want to eat. Blah, 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 like go into my mind. It's much harder for me to just be present with the feeling of hunger. When we get to our psycho-emotional lives, that's what we really need to learn how to do in order for our emotions to actually move through the body in a free and liberated way rather than get stuck and repressed, which is what happens for so many of us. It's so true that I feel like we've disassociated from our bodies and we've turned off the signals. I mean, the body is so innately intelligent. And from the youngest of ages, I think we were connected to our bodies. Kids will tell you when they're not hungry any longer, or they'll come in if they are hungry, or if they have to use the restroom, whatever it may be. And over time, we have learned to not listen to those signals. And I believe that's why we are seeing so much burnout. And we're seeing so many people have eating disorders and mental illness and stresses that because we don't necessarily listen to the signals, first of all. And then we aren't familiar with it because, as you said, we're not present. We're not mindful. We're not necessarily using our senses to really go, oh, I wonder what that sensation is. I've recognized that from something before. And then being able to identify what to do with that information. So it's interesting for me to see the work that is so present now like the sort of pillar of mindfulness and then the work in the mental health space and then the work in the somatic modalities and other energy work. I feel like they're all coming together and there's people like you, people like me and others within our community who are bridging this and going, Ooh, here's the modalities that have worked for me that has helped me to heal my own Trauma helped me to heal whatever I was going through. And now how can I share that with others? Do you feel like that we're at this unique point in time right now where all these things are sort of coming together? Yeah, it's a really potent time. I do see that. And I feel that's what's really cool about this time of collaboration, of cross-pollination between these different backgrounds. I think of the East meets West sort of experience or how modern neuroscience is right now simply in a long phase of reproving what many indigenous or ancient spiritual practices have known to be true for a really long time. And that's so powerful and special, especially for those in our communities and our culture who do tend to be more left-brained and do tend to be more critical thinkers. And logical because we need science in order for those individuals to really fully get on board with these practices. And so I feel it's really special that there's this like merging and really complementary energy happening and from many different fields, it's creating something really new. 
I agree. And I do think that it opens up the dialogue and it opens up space for people of different backgrounds who maybe weren't comfortable or exposed to yoga or to meditation, or some of these things are very mainstream right now. And 20 years ago, they weren't necessarily. And I do feel that is happening with the somatic teachings and energy work right now. So for those that have never experienced maybe energy work or who have never even heard the term somatic, as it talks about the body, explain to us a little bit of maybe what you do in some of your classes or some of your programs, like what people could expect to experience. (laughs) This is a great question. And I laugh because it's always unexpected. And that's the magic of working with the body is that you never really know, like, I might have an idea of what might come up. For example, in like one on one sessions, I might have an idea. But it's always so mysterious and unique what actually ends up coming through when we're in that terrain of the body. It feels very mysterious to me. That being said, I can give you a bit of an idea of what it looks like. So the process that I practice that I train other people in is called somatic yoga therapy. So it's just what we were talking about a moment ago, a blend of kind of new emerging field of somatics that's really based in polyvagal theory, that's based in modern neuroscience and really deeply looking at tracking nervous system states and supporting nervous system harmonization and balance with the ancient field of yoga medicine. Of course, we all have preconceived ideas of what yoga is. I'll just say briefly, because this would be like a whole nother podcast episode. So much more than just the postures. There's a deep energy medicine, meditation, deep philosophy connected with yoga. And especially the form of yoga I work with is a very intuitive form of yoga that doesn't look like what you're doing at the studio at all. It's much more organic. I call it an inner yoga rather than warrior two. We might think of that as an outer yoga. Has so much benefit to it. I love it. I practice myself and it's different than what I'm talking about here. So somatic yoga therapy, I will do this one-on-one. I do this during retreats. I do this in an actual year-long training where I train practitioners in the process. And there are different stages to the process. The first one really being reconnecting the body, the nervous system, the mind to a sense of safety and stability in the present moment. And that's, again, going to be really connected to what we were talking about with mindfulness, like sensing the feeling of your thumb rubbing on your fingertips, noticing what you see, what you smell, what you hear, slowing things down a little bit so that your system can actually open up to receiving what Deb Dana calls glimmers, which are the opposite of triggers. Glimmers are all of the little like pieces of information available to us all of the time. We're not always open to it, but it's available all of the time that feeds our nervous system good food, nourishing food, like everything that feels good, a little micro nutrition that we can receive from the sunlight on your face, from the sense of your socks on your feet from a certain movement that you're doing in your body, like a sway side to side. So we start with that to really build bandwidth and to increase capacity because without capacity, it's really hard to do much healing work. So capacity has to come first. And these glimmers or resourcing or 
I'll call it harmonizing, helps to increase capacity. So that's where we start. And that looks, again, a lot of different ways. It's connecting to sensuality, to mindfulness, to these glimmers. We can also increase bandwidth through pleasurable movement, through your yoga practice at the studio you might go to, through your meditation practice, through vagus nerve toning techniques. All of this is going to help to just create a little bit more space and capacity for you to be with the experiences that come up. Once capacity is more online, then we can start to go more inward to the feeling realm feeling sensations. And the reason capacity is really needed first is that because as a culture, we're so cut off from our feelings and from our body. Typically for many people, when we first start to go in there, what we notice first and foremost is all of the overwhelm, pain, the sadness, the anger, Especially if you have chronic pain, you go right to those pain points and it's really hard to feel anywhere inside of the body that's actually resourceful or that feels good and easeful. And so that can feel really overwhelming if we start to feel into the body and all you're noticing is just low back pain, like excruciating low back pain, or all you're noticing is an overwhelming sense of grief in your heart. That's going to send you into more of a freeze response or a dissociated response where it's going to be harder to actually be with the feelings that are arising, which is what's needed in order to heal. So once capacity is there, we have a little bit more space to go toward feeling in the body, feelings that feel neutral or pleasurable, as well as feelings that might hold some charge that might hold some intensity within them. The areas of repressed emotions, especially. And I notice for a lot of women, there's a lot of repressed anger, a lot of repressed shame and guilt. There's a lot of repressed sadness and grief, collective grief that doesn't get processed just on its own. We have to make intentional time to process these emotions. And so when we start to tap into some of what I like to call like the undigested content, just like if you ate a really big burger and your belly was having a hard time digesting it in Ayurveda, they say it just sits there and accumulates and becomes something called ama. It becomes toxicity, like toxic sludge. The same thing happens if our emotions aren't properly digested. So we have some sludge sitting inside of us that eventually in order to return the system into health, needs to be cleared out. And so when we go toward feelings, we start to feel some of that sludge. It can feel a little uncomfortable. It can feel painful. It can feel intense. We're not feeling it to re-traumatize. We're not feeling it to get stuck in it. We're feeling it so that it can start to clear and to dissolve and to release. And that release process We do organically through movement, through sound, through energy healing. I could compare this to one common comparison in the field of somatics is if a deer was just chased by a tiger, usually what happens is the tiger chases the deer, the deer runs for as long as it thinks it can get away, but once it realizes I can no longer get away from this tiger, the deer will freeze and play dead. 
the tiger will come up to the deer, sniff it, might shake its neck a bit, and be like, oh, this is dead meat. I don't really want it, and walk away. So the deer's survival response to freeze helps it to survive. But what happens for the deer after that high stress event is that it will stand up and start to tremor and shake. And we'll do that for a minute, two, maybe three minutes, and then it goes on its way. It doesn't have any stored survival stress stuck in the body. Yeah. For us humans, and coming back to that mental piece, we've really conditioned ourselves away from these organic responses, meaning that there's a whole lot of toxic survival stress stuck in the body. Perhaps you've never physically had an experience of being chased by a tiger, but we have many other forms of stress that can feel just as life-threatening, maybe not on a logical sense, but on a perceived sense. And that's really what's most important in the nervous system is not whether it's like logically a survival survival threat, but whether it's perceived like public speaking for so many people, this is going to kill me. That's the feeling Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to survive this. (laughs) It feels so scary. Or like I've just recently gotten more into singing and performing. And that's just like such a rush of adrenaline and that all of those stress feelings. It's wild how much of a survival experience it is where it's something like logically I'm like this isn't actually going to kill me there are parts of me that are like this is so intense and so when that happens and we shut down the actual organic survival impulses within that want to happen again it's going to turn into more of that sludge that on that in the system so this is Mm -hmm. where for release we get into movement like for some people a tremor starts to come up just like the deer starts to shake for other people it's pushing or pulling or squeezing for some people it's more of a circular movement there again might be sounds that come through like a hum or some people they need to yell or there will be tears in the release there are a lot of different ways that it can look and typically it feels really good Typically, it feels you might not think crying feels good. You might not think shaking and tremoring feels good. But when we're approaching it in the way that we do, it feels a relief. It feels finally this is like being released from me and there's more space inside now. And then we get to the final stage, which is more of what I call reclaim or soul retrieval. Now that that toxic sludge is out, we can bring more of the essence back in because when we're in survival states for so long, parts of our soul or our spirit get dissociated. In shamanism, it's called soul loss. They're key mm-hmm. parts to who each of us are on a soul level that become disembodied. And once the survival sludge, the old beliefs, the repressed emotions start to move out of the body, there's now more space for me to reclaim whatever it is that I've pushed away my childlike wonder, my playfulness, my ease of being, receptivity, sleep, Mm -hmm. (laughs) restfulness, creativity, like fill in the blank. And that's the kind of final stage of the process is bringing back in what has been lost. So again, this shows up in one-on-one work and it's not just one session we're doing all this. It takes time when we're working with the nervous system. It can take, depending on the person, multiple sessions, many months, many years. We go slowly because that's the pace that healing is able to actually 
sustainably happen. We do this during retreats and group settings where each kind of day and session, we kind of focus on building and growing through that process. And then in the trainings, we support practitioners and bringing these tools to their clients, whether that be in psychotherapy or coaching, massage therapy, yoga therapy, just bringing more of that framework and way to work with the body on a somatic and energetic level in. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that really thorough description. It's so interesting because I know that for me personally, I facilitate breath work and I love to incorporate that into some of the other work that I do, especially around coaching and with meditation and partnership with yoga, anything that moves the body. And as you said, we start to move energy around, we shake off the stale stuff, we move things through. It just gives you an opportunity to bring in more of the stuff that you need. And we can't keep stuffing where that sludge is there, as you called it, the ama, there is no more room. There is no room for the good stuff to be put in. And sometimes we keep feeding ourselves more to try to put more of the stuff in, but we don't actually do the work to release. And I remember one of my yoga teachers and I went through yoga teacher training, we did an Osho class and we did one where we were laughing and dancing and going through all kinds of emotions. And we had to bring that up and allow the release to happen. And I just remember one feeling completely exhilarated at the end, but also completely exhausted and spent. Like it's real work to do this. It's work to release. It's work to sort of allow it to come to the surface, but it's so good too. It felt like so therapeutic at the same time, which is amazing. So tell me about the women that you work with. So how do people find you and who... Do you have like an ideal client or are there things that are similarities about the people that work with you? Yeah, I tend to work with women who are yoga teachers. They tend to be really called and drawn to this work and sensitive, empathic women who teach yoga or practice yoga and also have experienced some degree of life trauma that they're wanting to work through. And typically the people who are called to my work have experienced some form of sexual trauma or relational trauma, emotional trauma that they're really wanting to fully release and to work through. Some people come mainly because they are just like, life is stressful and I just need this as general like maintenance and upkeep, which is kind of where I'm at now. Still definitely working through my own life content. I don't know if we ever are completely done with that or if I ever will be just knowing my personality. <laughs> but kind of like general, I know I feel it when I haven't done this work in a while. I'm like emotionally constipated. I get very irritable and agitated and just like on edge. And I'm like, okay, those are signs to me that there's something building up inside that's ready to come through and to be released. Absolutely. So how can we best support you? Is there anything you're working on today that you want to share with this community? Yeah, right now we're working on our new very foundational online course. It's going to be launching sometime this summer. It's going to be six weeks that will be going through kind of all of the foundational stages of this process. And I am going to be looking at this course as like a prerequisite for much of our other work so that you can realize yourself with 
the foundations of the process. And then when we get together for retreats or for training or for our online women's circles, we will all have a shared language and shared experience with the process and with the work. So that's one piece that's emerging that if you're wanting more information for, you can join our email list that Mm -hmm. is on our website. And you can also join our online community right now. It's free. It won't be free forever. So if you want to get in there, you can. It's our online Mighty Network, also available on our website. And then finally, if you're a practitioner and you want to learn more about this work, you can apply for our next round of training, which will be coming in 2024. So we'll have another, it's about a year long training process of going really deep into this modality. Oh, that's wonderful. I'll make sure we include your website in the show notes and folks can dig deeper into all of these amazing things. And I want to acknowledge you, Katie, for all the great work that you are doing for all the resource that you're providing for others, creating a safe community, especially for practitioners who sometimes it's hard to take care of ourselves. And sometimes we forget to do the work on ourselves. So thank you for that. I want to acknowledge you for it. And the final question I ask everyone is tied to the title of the podcast, and it's about living the width of your life. So what does it mean to you to live the width of your life? Yeah, I feel like everything we've talked about today feels so deeply connected to that. Mm. For me, I think when I feel into body versus mind on the mental level, it feels very much like up and out like a straight line up and then the body feels more of like this horizontal line i think about the cross symbol which actually predates christianity as the symbol of connecting that cosmic force or the mental force with the earth or the body Mm -hmm. so yeah the body feels like a gateway to living the width of life. Absolutely. There's more dimension, more texture, more colors of the rainbow that we get to experience Mm -hmm. when we are more fully rooted in the physical body. I love that analogy too. It's like connecting and aligning through the central channel, but then living the expansiveness through the 3D and the physical. It's beautiful. No one's ever Mm -hmm. described it that way. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for spending time and having this wonderful conversation. And uh, I look forward to seeing all the amazing things you'll continue to do. Thanks so much. Thank you, Anita. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have lost your zest for life and wondering if there's more to life than this, I want you to know that there is. If you are tired of being burned out and overworked, I was there and now I want to help you. Download my free, easy-to-implement daily routines checklist to empower you to take control of your personal health and well-being and start to feel good again. Head out to my website for your copy, and I will see you next week.